Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. It is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Good evening and welcome to Done By Law on 3CR. It's 6pm on Tuesday the 15th of May and you are listening to Greg and Gemma tonight. Um, our thanks go out to Tuesday Home Time, uh, who are on just before us. Great. Thanks, Greg. Um, so this Thursday, the 17th of May, is the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia, Intersexism and Transphobia, uh, known as Ida Hobbit. Um, and we have um, two guests that we're very grateful to have on tonight to talk about um, the issue of um, gender and gender on birth certificates in particular. So... By way of a bit of um, general background, obviously gender identity is something that is very much a live issue in Australia and around the world right now. Um, So trans, gender diverse and intersex Australians face some very serious struggles uh, in a fight to live lives that are free from discrimination. Uh, And I think we should particularly recognise the nasty effect of the marriage equality um, debate in the sense that often trans and gender diverse people were thrown under the bus um, in um, in that discussion. Uh, Meanwhile, in the US, I saw today that the Trump administration has just announced some awful reforms um, aimed to change the rules about the care of trans prisoners uh, in American prisons, meaning that people will generally be kept in prisons that accord to their gender at birth rather than their preferred gender. To mark Ida Hobbit, we thought that we would look at an issue that faces thousands of trans, uh, gender-diverse and intersex Victorians in Victoria and that is the issue of whether a person in Victoria can have their preferred gender recorded on their birth certificate. So currently a person's birth certificate can only be changed if they've had gender affirmation surgery and if they're unmarried. Um, And these outdated and burdensome requirements have caused increased distress, trauma and barriers to to participation in daily life uh, for these members of our community. Um, We're very grateful to have our two guests on tonight. The first is uh, Sally Goldner. So Sally's um, 20-year involvement in Victoria's LGBTIQ communities includes um, her involvement with Transgender Victoria. Um, She um, has co-facilitated Trans Family. Uh, She's a presenter on 3CR's Out of the Pan show uh, and she um, has been also the Bisexual Alliance of Victoria treasurer. She's a life member of four organisations. She is the 2015 LGBTI Victorian of the Year and she joined the Victorian Women's Honour Roll in 2016. So thanks for coming on our show tonight, Sally. Pleasure to talk trans and 3CR at once. Always a good thing. (laughs) Uh, We're also um, delighted to be joined uh, by Theodore Murray. Uh, Theodore is a final year Monash Law student doing honours in public law. 
while also acting as a national edi- editor of Quirrell Magazine and co-founder of uh, Interspectra, a queer co- consulting startup social enterprise. He is proudly non-binary and transmasculine and strives for a career in the law around gender diverse inclusion and advocacy. Uh, he uses he and they as pronouns. Uh, welcome, Theodore. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, so we thought that it might be um, good to start our discussion tonight with a general a general conversation about gender and language, and in particular the importance of labels. Um, so we might throw over to you first, Sally. Why why is gender why is language in gender um, important? I think that the level of stigma that trans people face. Um, it still at times comes down to the denial factor and so that can be the denial of our sense of our own sense of identity from other people you know and that can be in many ways name you know we sadly there are still media outlets who would report someone like me as not that I'm going to mention my previous name but as say Barry Goldner who uses the name Sally and that's totally Mm. denying my existence Mm. they'd say put trans I identify as a trans woman in inverted commas that sort of thing and not even use the right pronouns and yeah Theodore's reaching for the (laughs) Valium or something here Um, but that's the sort of thing that happens but when we're affirmed um, it's a huge difference a story came my way a couple of years ago um, at a one of the education sessions I do trans woman about 50 and there was a guy um, at this sort of general community meeting and he could just see she was a bit anxious or nervous went up to her and said oh hi can I help you and can I just clarify which pronouns you use if any she burst into tears no one had ever asked her Mm -hmm. so it can be such a powerful thing when we see our gender uh, when we hear our gender being affirmed or to use other things we see um, forms that we know are inclusive rather than male, not male, female circle one. Mm. And, you know, for, I'm someone who's binary, so that could work for me, but for other people it might not, yeah. Um, so, Teddy, you know, if we asked you what are your, you know, what are your requests in, in relation to how people um, use language around gender, well, you know, can you give us some tips or some golden rules that you think are helpful? Absolutely. I think the key is to give autonomy back to gender diverse Mm. people. So using language that allows them to consent first and foremost and doesn't assume or um, like uh, show you having any expectations or assumptions about what how they identify or how they express themselves. I think that's really the key consent and autonomy. Yep. Um, I think I saw a really funny thing on the internet the other day about um, how your um, gender identity labels are much like um, a cat in the sense that if you put it in a box, <laughs> it will be quite upset about being there. But if it gets in the box itself, that's, that's fine. Um, that and give lots good. of boxes from which to um, make sure that there is clear information and the yep. cat will find the best one. As a gender person and a cat lover, I think that's great. (laughs) I think there's lots of really easy things people can do, like saying welcome everyone instead of ladies Mm. and gentlemen. Um, Whenever you introduce yourself, just add, and my pronouns are he, him and they, them. How about you? It just sets the tone and makes puts everyone on equal footing and doesn't put anyone in a box. Exactly. Um, And I think for all the lawyers out there, um, we have a really terrible habit of writing letters to uh, Madam slash Sir or Sir slash Madam, you know, and I've been um, conscious of making sure I write Dear Court Registry, for example, if I'm writing to someone who I don't know. Um, Just little things like that, I think, make a difference. Well, yeah, 
um, things like that, um, you know, that we just heard are really, really good. And, I mean, there is the old joke about why would you put deer? Does that mean everyone's expensive already? But, um, <laughs> you, know, you know, seriously, those sorts of inclusive terms, welcome everybody, or if you're feeling casual, um, or if you're in the country, hi, y'all, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but just that makes it inclusive so no one feels left out are just so important. And, you know, um, yeah, all, all those things. And there was something else that went through there as well, you know, just... Um, um, oh, yeah, um, a good one to raise awareness for those in office-based type environments or at home, put your own pronouns, regardless of whether you're trans or cisgender, the latter meaning your gender meets expectations, put them in your email signature and people go, why are you doing that? Because you know, mm-hmm. I care about my trans and gender diverse friends. You know, I want to make sure we understand gender. So there's another handy one as well. It makes it so much easier for gender diverse people if um, people who like are cis or don't identify with the queer movement take upon themselves ways to normalise things mm. like pronouns and identity and forms of expression. It just relieves the burden from us so much. Um, other really, really easy things to do are just educate yourself about intersectionality and different types of diversity so that when you speak, it naturally comes forward that you know what you're talking about and that you're not assuming anything about anyone. Yeah. Um, so obviously one of the one major ways that the state labels us is um, at birth. We get assigned at the moment either male or female. Um, and so we might move on to talk about um, the big label that we're here to talk about, which is the label on your birth certificate. Um, so we might get you to explain and we might um, get you to talk about this a little bit, Teddy, what, what the law says you need to do at the moment if you want to change the gender that's assigned to you at birth on your birth certificate. Yeah, sure. So there's a number of uh, separate sort of legal levels to this. So at the federal level, at the Commonwealth level, you've got um, your passport. And in order to change your passport, all you need is a letter from your doctor saying that you're receiving treatment for gender dysphoria. Um, it's kind of twisted to think about it like that, but that's actually a more flexible approach than the Victoria the state takes yep. and towards so birth certificates. I might get you to explain why that's twisted for people who oh, might sure. not see the problem with that. So basically it's saying that gender identity, if it's different to what you were assigned at birth, is a mental health issue, is a sickness, is a uh, something wrong with you. Yep. That's what that's based on, premised in, really. Yeah. Um, And then at the Victorian level, it's even more conservative. They require you to undertake surgical procedures um, to change your internal sexual characteristics um, in order to be able to change your birth gender marker on your birth certificate. Um, So so I have a quick question about that. I mean, that sounds like a drastic thing to have to go through. but I imagine that at the time the law was passed, um, parliamentarians, um, our lawmakers, may have thought that was a progressive step. Um, was the trans community um, consulted uh, when those that bill went to parliament? Or um, yeah, so it the seems fir- odd that to, as a requirement. Yeah, look, the first attempt was in two thousand and four, and that's when things changed from absolutely no change for marker at all through to a surgery-based requirement. And unfortunately, the honest answer at the time, to really put it out there, is the trans community didn't really work together well enough. Mm. And so in the end, a very minimalist approach, if I can use that word, Mm. was taken. And thankfully, over, say, the last 10 years, there's been a lot more understanding that, sure, some people feel a need to have surgery to be their true selves, but lots of people don't feel they need a surgery or surgeries to Mm. do it. So it's moved on. Um, the trans community 
in Victoria at least, and most you know, increasingly around Australia, has realised that it, you know, to make sense if you know we're tra- we're, we don't become trans after surgery, um, if you if you have it, we we know we're trans, of course, from our earliest memories, uh, that sort of thing. So um, you know, now people realise well, we need to have a birth certificate that aligns, you know, pretty much as quickly as possible after what I call the point of realisation, mm. or you know, where we start living at least socially in our affirmed gender. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So um, what is the surgery that someone needs to have? Yeah, so, um, well, for someone who's assigned male at birth, it is, um, and let's be adults about it, removal of penis, um, creation of neo-vagina, and it brings in the factor that um, in terms of cost, um, you know, it's not all covered by Medicare and or private cover. The out-of-pocket cost for just that surgery is um, around 15000 to $20,000 if it's done in Australia. But then for someone assigned female at birth um, and wanting to have surgeries, um, well, the, here's where a lot of the, the silliness comes in. It's currently deemed to be a hysterectomy and um, you can't really... The addition of a phallus, if for those who want that, is a highly... Uh, is not a standardised procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two things that come up there, you get health professionals who will then go to that per- the, the person assigned female at birth and say, well, your body's functioning healthily. Why do you need to have a surgery? Mm-hmm. And if so for people who want to add a phallus, even if it's not perfect, the out-of-pocket cost for just the first part in Australia is deep breath, $70,000. Wow. Um, so you get people who literally say, oh, surgery pay off, you know, start saving for a house, surgery saving for a house. Mm. And it's like, what a horrible position to be in. No one should be put in that. So there's a few thoughts, yeah. yeah. And so why do you think that was brought in as a requirement? I think people were still thinking in very binary terms back then, you know, that um, there was this very big idea that, you know, you know, there still wasn't an understanding that gender could be, a, we'll say, a spectrum or a kaleidoscope it was still seen as binary. You know, we heard terms in those days which were at that time reasonable enough like male to female or female to male, but they don't work. And, you know, the increased visibility of people identifying as other than male or female or finding their unique sense of self in terms of identity, body expression has been huge. It just can't work. Mm. Um, I've also uh, found that there's a third legal position about what trans identity exists as, um, which is the, dis- the the approach taken by the High Court in a case that regarded the West as an Australian law, which for anyone who wants to look it up at home is AB in Western Australia, 2011. Um, and the High Court uh, held in that case that um, a surgical procedure was not required to change their internal sexual characteristics um, because they both appeared male based on their external characteristics. So the High Court decided that someone could appear male mm-hmm. um, based on having already taken testosterone, um, and thus that was enough to ha- allow them to record their gender change. So that shows a third sort of perspective. So there's the um, federal level, the Commonwealth perspective, which is that your gender is sort of in your head, but it's sort of like a being trans is sort of like a, me- a medical problem mm-hmm. there's the position that it's your gender is what you look like based on your external characteristics which is what the high court approaches and then there's the victorian even more conservative approach which is your sex is what the um reproductive organs you have inside you decide that you are yeah mm-hmm. so if we talk about the the problems that the um current law um 
causes. What kind of issues does this cause people? Um, well, I'll dive in there. I mean, there's so much. <laughs> and how long have we gone, yeah. sadly? <laughs> I'll give you one which was two from my own personal experience. So um, Transgender Victoria, with which I'm involved, runs an anxiety discussion group. And I needed a police slash working with children's check to be a facilitator, just to be sure. Um, and one day... Um, you know, I'm out and about doing stuff and then I'm about to head home and realise, oh, there's that post office on the way home. I can drop in all my documents there. Now, I'm open about this, even, you know, in a public situation. I'm someone who didn't feel I needed to have surgery. So right now I'm stuck with M on my birth certificate. So I'm walking up to this post office and it's like, oh, heck, or other words, <laughs> I'm about to hand over and totally out myself to a total stranger. How is this person going to react? They might, might not care, but they might. They could be highly transphobic. So um, that's one practical effect. The other one for me was um, the passport regulations, which Theodore mentioned, you know, where you just need a letter from a GP. I, a few years, about two and a half years ago, had the amazing offer to go to Russia, which was a story in itself. But it came up very suddenly. It's like six weeks from the time the offer was made to the time I was due to fly off. And so I was racing through to get the passport. And even just to get that GP letter, it's another two days and um, as it happened, I got the passport. The passport arrived with the visa three hours before I was due to leave for the airport. Um, so it's that sort of extra stress, outing yourself. Mm. Um, there's a whole heap of stories that we could go through. And, um, yeah, there's just two um, in my own life. And I know I'm sure trans and gender diverse people everywhere have lots more. Yeah, for sure. Like um, there's uh, the uncertainty in knowing whether I'll ever be able to have um, – a marker on my birth certificate that actually reflects how I feel, um, let alone passport, driver's license, all those other kinds of other identification. Yeah. And so obviously then that impacts things like um, work. If you um, get a job on the basis of your gender presentation and then have to present some other form of identification at some point that has you yep. know, the one that you're assigned at birth yeah. on it, I guess that impacts the ability of transgender diverse and intersex people to gain employment and do all kinds of things, right? Yeah, it's either meaning you've got to out yourself or perhaps, oh, I won't go for that job. Um, and this certainly affects young people where at the moment in Victoria there is no change even with parent slash guardian approval. So if for some reason they're asked for a birth certificate for the holiday job or whatever, you've instantly outed yourself and you know, there's risks. We mentioned intersectionality. Mm. Um, you know, younger people can face prejudice as well for being young. Um, you know, youth phobia, you're too young to know about these things, that sort of stuff. So that adds another layer. Um, but um, also here's one. A friend of mine is a carer for another person and was able to get some sort of allowance by effectively being employed as a carer by an agency. And it was, oh, you can just go online, fill everything out. Um, you'll have, You'll be registered in half an hour no he's a trans man he's still stuck with f on his birth certificate everything else m's is an m so bah, bah, you'll have to send this in manually 15 days later that sort of thing now if that was an actual employment situation there's another chance and probability the job's gone to someone else yep yep precisely um so there has been a push for change and i understand that you were both um, involved in different ways in the last campaign for change. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about what happened um, during that campaign? So, yeah, the Victorian situation in 2016, there was fantastic consultation with a range of 
trans and gender diverse people, families of younger people, and I don't want to speak for intersex, but obviously it does affect them in ways, but I'll only stick to covering the trans and gender diverse angle. Intersex people consulted as well. A really good piece of legislation was put up that offered, um, would have resolved all these issues. Self-affirmed identity, not surgery, more than male and female options, um, you know, parental guardian approval change for young people, ending forced divorce, and perhaps even better, um, and this is where the passport thing could have been beaten, um, you know, simply someone who's known, an adult who's known you for 12 months signing off saying, I've known Sally for 12 months and her gender is female, whatever. Mm. And unfortunately, it got through the lower house reasonably well, but that's where we knew we had troubles. Um, um, You know, someone who's been involved in the community a long time some of the, the speeches were the worst, some of the, those opposing were the worst I've ever heard in the, the Victorian State Parliament. Um, you know, the horrible changing room, bathroom stuff. I'd never heard, even, you know, right-wing people ever say that. Um, one speech, you know, there were a whole heap of us in the gallery and we just were in, gasping in disbelief. To her immense credit, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm bad with names, but the ALP member for Ballarat spoke next said, I would apologise on to those people in the gallery listening to that it must have been terrible and it was hmm. and so we got to the upper house it seemed that no one from liberals nationals would even meet with trans people or allies um to their credit the fish shooters and fishers actually <laughs> met with trans people which shows it's a strange world hmm. the swing vote in the end came down to james purcell the independent mp um, in Western, Victor- Western rural Victoria, he didn't meet with anyone, according to the sources we had, played his cards close to his chest, didn't speak, and at the last minute sadly voted against in the upper house. So it was a tie and so it was lost. Um, and it was, yeah, obviously devastating. It would have been a pretty solid, you know, top-class piece of legislation and, you know, nothing happened. Yeah. And so what's we might ask you, Theodore, what, what the situation is now? Uh, well, we obviously can't put through any more amendments until we have a new Senate, because that's um, part of the Constitution. Um, but until then, there's lots of pushes for um, advocacy and for cultural change, which can definitely happen at any time. They're not That's not dependent on governmental systems. Um, and I think we definitely need to be moving towards an, an abandoning of, of binary I- ideas around mm. gender. And the fact that it holds so much importance and yet means so little and damages so many people through that is 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 really horrible um the fact that on pretty much every every medical form you'll ever come up against there'll be only two options m or f and yet that's based on a binary understanding of how sexual characteristics actually uh manifest which are damaging to intersex people as well mm-hmm. um and the way that gender then informs how what's what's appropriate to dress, say in a in a workplace, um, how to act, um, the kinds of roles that you're shoehorned into, whether you're you're expected to take on a caring role or an unempathetic role, depending on how you're perceived, and it's just ridiculous. And we need mm. to be abandoning those sorts of norms. Yep. So if you could see the law changed, I mean, hopefully after the next election, depending mm. on the outcome, what is it that we're looking for? What do we want to see in the legislation? So it would be those things that were in the legislation that didn't get up. And one other thing, and that is an ending of the forced divorce situation mm. where, um, whereby someone who's in an existing male and female marriage um, 
you know, what one person wants to affirm their gender identity, they have to divorce before they that that can happen. Um, the opening we have since the passing of marriage equality last December is states and territories that still have those laws. Victoria is one of the six left have until 7 December next year to change the laws, otherwise they can be challenged in court. And there is legislation before the Victorian Parliament at the moment just for the forced divorce provision, mm-hmm. so we can have a half a step forward, so to speak, before mm-hmm. the end of this Parliament. Um, and, yeah, we'd want those things, you know, changes for minors with parent-guardian approval, um, more than two options, affirmation, not surgery, and, um, you know, a non-pathologising, a non-medical approach to who can sign off, you know. the As I always say, you know, cisgender people can't prove their gender. Mm. Why should we have to jump through a medical mm. hoop to do it? And there was one other thing I just wanted to add in response to your good comments that are on forms. Sometimes, you know, we ask, the first thing is, do we need gender on a form? Yeah. Um, and sometimes you do. Yes, there's employment recording, you know, affirmative action purposes, and sometimes it's say, well, why do you need it? And if you do, you know, if it's a library card and I'm, you know, female's probably mm-hmm. not going to bother anyone if I put it on there. But if it's an organ donor situation, you know, there might be, a, you know, there might be extra reasons to ask information. So we need things that are inclusive and, you know, allow for diverse combinations of bodies and identities as well. Hmm. Um, it's interesting that you should mention that because... I've been noticing it more and more, the amount of places that it comes up, things like signing up for online shopping. Mm. Um, I just think, like, why do these companies need to know my gender? And I don't have an option to say, no, I have to put that in to buy Mm. things. Why do um, the Legal Services Board and Commissioner need to know my gender when I um, renew my practising certificate and why am I only given a binary option there? So it's amazing just how ingrained it's become and how um, I suppose open people feel to be able to ask everyone's gender yeah. in almost every context. It is yeah. that autopilot yet yeah, we wouldn't ask nowadays in a lot of cases for people's religion or their sexual orientation or their skin colour and I certainly hope we wouldn't um, yet we still think we've got a right to just autopilot gender and then as you say male, female and we're still I had the situation a few months ago where all the, the only mailing title options were Mr. and Mrs. and Miss, mm. which you think, hello, uh, <laughs> how are we still stuck in the 1950s yeah. somewhere? <laughs> and this was an internet site, so it couldn't have been the 1950s. You think, what are people mm. doing? So, yeah, there's some of the, you know, the just absolute stupidity that happens. And I mean, you know, there's probably lots else that we could talk about. Yeah, for sure. We could go on all night. <laughs> yeah. We are um, running very low on time, um, but it has been, um, I think, a really informative um, and important discussion to have, especially in the lead-up mm. to Ida Hobbit. Um, so I wanted to um, extend our sincere thanks to you both for coming on. I also wanted to acknowledge that, um, you know, it's a bit of a thing that, um, you know, members of the queer community and in particular the trans uh, and gender-diverse community are expected to constantly stump up and explain things to the <laughs> non-trans and non-gender-diverse, the cis community. Um, and so I wanted to sincerely thank you for coming on tonight and for sharing um, your knowledge um, and your experiences with us. Yeah, well, look, thank you for that. But I think if there is a positive there over the long, very long term, there are far more allies than there were even, say, five or ten years ago, which is great. 
And I suppose one thing that people can keep a lookout for is the various, um, we'll say, LGBTIQ organisations or parts thereof mm. will work on a questionnaire of political parties prior to the state election. And so that will help inform everyone who's interested in LGBTI issues, well, what are their stances? And if that's something that, of course, influences someone's vote, they'll be able to know where they stand on birth certificates and the whole sort of rain, gamut of rainbow issues. And mm. that's something you can do. But also just, yeah, talk it up. Um, um, spread, spread this podcast yeah. around when it goes up. <laughs> yeah. um, because, you know, and people go, oh, maybe I haven't thought of that before, that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, like, you are using us to educate people, but you're giving us a platform and you're using your platform to create change, and that's yeah. really what's more important. Okay. For sure. Well, on plugs and platforms, um, I did want to plug um, that the St Kilda Legal Service, happily for us law nerds, um, has a brand new position. It's the LGBTI lawyer role. Um, it is brand new. Um, it is staffed by a wonderful, competent, um, compassionate lawyer who is working out of both the St Kilda Legal Service and the Victorian AIDS Council. Um, so anyone in the community, in the queer community that needs any help with legal issues, you can approach St Kilda Legal Service um, and get a hand. Um, and Greg, did you also have another Yes, so and our last plug for this evening before we wrap up, um, for those of you who may not be aware, it is Law Week this week. Um, mm. Law Week uh, runs a number of activities uh, all around Melbourne and Victoria. Uh, the, uh, the various uh, programs and uh, seminars that you can attend um, will end on this Sunday. Uh, if you're interested in finding out what's available around you, um, please visit the website www.everydayoneword-law.org.au or just Google Law Week. Uh, so th uh, that brings us to the end of our time. Um, please, uh, we would love to thank you again, um, Sally Gordner and Theodore Murray, for joining us um, on Dumbay Law. Uh, you're listening to 3CR.